Welcome to another episode of the Toasted Sister Podcast, radio about Native American food. I am from Oakland, California. I'm Kickapoo tribal member, and I am a Native American chef. All right. Tell me a little bit about the Oakland Bay Area Native community there. We have all different tribes here. Um, It's 80, maybe 90,000 tribal members are here in the Bay Area. It surprises a lot of people when I say that um, because we're in a big city. Um, but we have a tight-knit Native community, which I love. All right. And uh, the, the uh, Kickapoo tribe of Oklahoma, um, did you grow up in Oklahoma and then move to uh, the Bay Area? <laughs> no. Um, actually, I was born and raised here in Oakland, California, and my grandparents were um, here on relocation um, in, the, I believe, in the 50s, a little bit of the 60s. And so that's how my mother had came here. And um, my family's originally from Oklahoma, but I was born and raised here. Um, My family was in the American Indian movement, so we kind of stayed here in the Bay Area. A lot of activism going on. And so my family ended up staying here and going, we ended up going, actually I ended up going back and forth to Oklahoma with my grandparents and my mom. So I got to have bittersweet of going to Oklahoma and living and then coming back here to the Bay. We traveled a lot. Okay. All right. That's, that's kind of my story, too. Uh, my mom was born in L.A., and, and uh, her parents were part of that uh, urban relocation program, too. And uh, for people who don't know about the, the relocation program, um, that was back in the late 50s where um, yeah. uh, government people, you know, sort of drew Native Americans out of uh, the rural reservations, rural Native communities into big cities like L.A. and um you know, Denver was another big one. So uh, my my grandparents landed in L.A., and that's uh, where my mom was born. So that's an interesting yeah. thing about uh, a lot of our urban natives out there. <laughs> they have that, that history behind them. Um, yes. So uh, in Oklahoma, visiting your grandparents, visiting that side of your Native community, what did you learn about the Native food in Oklahoma, and how did you bring that over to uh, the Oakland area? Well, actually, the food was already brought to me growing up here in the Bay Area. Um, Just me going to the Intertribal Central House, which is in Oakland, and where the relocation, everybody would meet there. And that's where I discovered Native American foods, where everybody would bring just different tribes would bring their foods there. But my grandmother was really known for the dried sweet corn and also hominy. And so when the summertime would come, I would go to Oklahoma and stay with my grandmother. And so we would harvest the corn. And I always kind of like was drawn to it. It was a part of me as a young age. So it was always kept with me. And 
I just always was gravitating towards corn and like the harmony. And then so coming back to the Bay to go to school and everything, I kind of put two and two together and I realized, hey, people, people here just don't cook like my grandma does in Oklahoma. <laughs> I kind of put two and two together like, you know, Native foods are totally not around. And I always kind of wondered why. I always was drawn to that, like, why? And uh, you went to the bread program. What is that? Because that sounds delicious. <laughs> Actually, it's, um, it's, it's called the Bread Project. Um, at the same time, I was in um, culinary school in San Francisco, and um, I couldn't afford to go to culinary school anymore. And so there was an alternative program that someone had mentioned to me at the Naval Center about the Bread Project. And it was basically almost, it's basically the same, but for low-income people to attend. And so I actually got accepted, and I went through this program, and I was really shocked because this program was the same thing what I was doing in culinary school. (laughs) And they were offering it, and I just couldn't believe it was for free. And that's when I, I took advantage of it, and I utilized it. Okay, and I've talked to, uh, you know, a couple of Native chefs, and um, uh, one of the questions I always ask them is, how did you, um, you know, sort of reclaim your Native food and those Native flavors? And, um, uh, you know, that they, they uh, you know, are remembering foods from their grandma's kitchens. They're remembering foods from when they, you know, were living on the res. And they have these, you know, sort of food stories. Um, do, how important are are these food stories uh, to you, if if you have them? Um, yes. Um, the food stories, for me, was the number one why I became a Native chef is because <clears throat> just of us, me going back to Oklahoma with my grandmother and my grandfather, he was a farmer, and so he would plant, and then he would sit down and tell me different stories of corn and he would always love to plant wild onions, and um, I always was drawn to that. And so when we talk about Native food stories, um, me as a, as a Native chef, as I cook, I think of those stories that my grandparents had given me, and I incorporate all those into my foods. And um, I, when, when I decided to become a, a Native chef, I... Um, it's kind of like I didn't decide it. It actually chose me. Um, let me explain that well. <laughs> As I was in culinary school, um, I realized that there was no Native food. There was no Native chefs. There was nothing pertaining to Native Indigenous foods. And so I decided that I wanted to be a Native chef, which I brought I brought word to my other chefs, and they just kind of looked at me, and I felt a little bit out of place, and, you know, maybe I was a little bit over my head, um, because now when I look back at it, it it took a lot, many, many years, a lot of research, a lot of um, time to be where I'm at right now, and so in 2010, I kind of look back, and I'm like, wow, I've grown a lot. And so when I do make my foods, I always think of my grandmother. I always think of my grandfather um, when I make these foods, when I do a dry sweet corn or if I do a, even an ash hominy. 
can, I always think of my grandparents and what they had left behind and left me. So that is my food story of native foods. And also <clears throat> the food speaks for itself and it has its own wonderful stories on each, on each food that I make. And so without native food stories in my menus or in my recipes, I don't think it would be a native food because <laughs> yeah. it is used. Um, native foods to me is is used for one is for survival. It has stories. It tells history. It um, it says who we are as people, how we love, how we grow things. And I think that right there has been taken away many many years back. And that's when you know we can go to historical trauma. We can go to colonization. All of those things. And I look at it in my family, and I look how our eating habits are. But when I actually sit there and I, I'm the only one in my family that does make the dried sweet corn and I make stuff like what my grandma had made, you know, now that my grandparents are gone and I sit down and I tell them the story as when I was a kid, you know, I guess I was the only, I can't say I was the only one in the kitchen, but I was the one that always wanted to help in the kitchen. It was always a part of me cooking outside in the home with my grandma. Right. And how are you sharing these foods with the urban community uh, there in the Bay Area? And and how is it being received? Actually, um, it's being received very, very well, very positive. Um, when I when I do cater or when I, when I do um, feed the community or if I do teach a class, I always put myself in their place. Um, like in a part where um, a lot of people just eat their foods, but they don't really know the history of really, really where they come from. And I feel that it's my part of my duty as a Native chef is to tell them where this food comes from and what it means. And so once you give them that story and you make a dish and you put all your love into it, just not your herbs and your spices, but you put your actually love into your food. And then I always have tremendous positive feedback. Um, that's why I love cooking for my community um, because I was on that side at one time with my family's history of food, of eating bad, bad habits of food. And so I always, I always put myself into their place as I'm sitting there eating the food what would I want to know about this food so I would talk about it instead of just giving somebody a plate of food and they're going to eat it. But when you give them a, a story with that food and where it's coming from, where it's made from, and how it's prepared and how it's cooked, you always you always take that and eat that, that bowl of soup or, or however what it is. You always take pride, more pride and more respect and more being humble as you eat it because you know this person made it from love. Right, right. Kind of like um, uh, really knowing the food and where it comes from, like you're talking about, could maybe bring you closer to your own native heritage. I mean, you know, eating your own native food, is that, does that make you a better Indian? Uh, uh, good one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, um, I don't. 
I, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. So. <laughs> right. but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean but, um, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to kind of talk to um, people, especially people who are yeah. busy or they just don't care. You know, they're just feeding themselves to, to stay alive for another day. I mean, it's hard to really talk to them about, you know, this this love that we all speak of, that us foodies and native chefs speak of, <laughs> this, uh, you know, ultimate understanding about food. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of hard to share that kind of knowledge uh, with with people just kind of off the street who are just, you know, kind of surviving. Um, okay, well, actually, I don't I don't find it that that hard and that difficult. If mm-hmm. you put yourself in their place and you talk about food as you think they might want to hear it, or if you talk from your heart, I always get positive feedback. Mm. Mm, right. And uh, you're sharing foods with the community uh, through Wapipa's uh, kitchen? Is that. Wapipa's kitchen. That, Wapipa. That's my, um, yeah, that's my, that's my business name. Um, I named it Wapipa's kitchen because it reminded me of my grandmother. My grandmother, she always was cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> All right. And it's a, a catering company right or what do you actually what do you actually yes. do okay yes yes it's catering it's um it's a native american catering business here in the bay area um in service san francisco oakland and you know the, the east bay okay all right and um how did you decide to um you know like start your own little business there um i want to get into like the business side of this um was it because you couldn't find you know anywhere to really explore your native uh flavors in somebody else's kitchen or uh kind of explain how you how you just kind of wanted to branch out on your own there well um it started actually it, it started with my business. It started, I was um, asked to cater to the Native American Health Center. They found out that I was in culinary school and um, that I would go there and I would make certain certain treats and I would go there and I would sell them so I can get back and forth to school. And so word got around that um, I was selling foods and so they asked me what I would like to cater to them. And so that's it kind of like, like I said, it kind of found me. And so I said, yeah, sure, why not, without even thinking about the whole other side of it. Sure, why not? And so they asked me to do the traditional food. food. And so I said, okay. So I did um, my first catering job with them at the time, 400. That was my first catering job. 400 people I had no clue, no idea what I was really, really, really doing. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I was so used to cooking for, you know, all my family and all my friends. The 400 really didn't really sound that, that much, you know, until you, until you do it. And so I, at the same time I was in school, I asked one of my chefs, how would I figure this, this is the business side of it. I asked him, how would I, how would I figure how to feed 400 people and, you know, doing, of course, doing math? And he looked at me and he said, did you just say 400 people? And I said, yeah. And he literally broke down everything for me. It was like a whole other class on its own about food costs and breaking it down. And I was like, whoa, okay. And so with the help of one of my good friends, um, 
that worked at the clinic and she helped me and so I ended up catering to the gathering of the lodges and um four hundred people and it was a success. And right then and there I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I got into La Cocina, which is a um, incubator for low income women in San Francisco. It's where they teach you to come up with your brand, your logo, for more of you getting a business manager and seeing um, seeing your business more on a business plan and what do you want as a business, who do you want to be as a business. And so that's where I, I went to. And so that's when I discovered Wapipox Kitchen and my brand and my logo. And then from there, I got a business manager um, he worked with different high-end celebrity chefs, which I was very fortunate because he he was retired, and so he literally volunteered all his time to help me um, get my website, how to have people to recognize who I am, and so he showed me all those within a year's time, and so I utilized that and I took it, and from there I just kind of you know been by name for my business. Um, everybody hear me by name um, as me going to school and still going to school and still catering. I made a name for myself as a native chef. And then one thing led to another. But a lot of my, a lot of my jobs have been supported by the native community here in the Bay Area. Mostly 80% of my work came from the native community here. And so that told me right there, what is the urgency, what is the need, and what is the desire for indigenous food to go a healthy route instead of selling fry bread. Let's do traditional foods. And so not just them getting educated, I got educated myself too as a native chef and wanted to know more, wanted to know more knowledge of indigenous foods and to bring it into the communities where they can relate to it. Right. And um, when, when we talk about catering, um, catering versus a brick-and-mortar restaurant, um, you know, what, what, what does catering have that, uh, you know, the brick-and-mortar restaurant does not? Or are you maybe sort of working up to opening your own restaurant and owning, you know, that, that, that piece of real estate right there? The difference between catering and restaurant, um, definitely with catering, you get more in touch with your clients. You get more in touch with your community, who what people you're feeding. You get to interact with them more. And to me, I'm more of a, I love catering, and I'm not going to rule out, do I ever see myself opening up a restaurant? I say no, but I'm, I know in my heart I'm not there yet because right now I'm I'm catering a lot, and I love it, but I'm more of on hand, get to be, you know, on hand to get to be more with my clients and in my community um, as a chef. Instead of just being at a restaurant, of course, you could just show your foods and your cuisine, everything off, but to me, I consider myself still a baby at this even though I've, I've been doing it since 2010. But all at the same time, I'm still learning. And so having a restaurant is a very, very big commitment, big step. 
um, but also having a catering business is too. Um, in in the Bay Area, there do you think there is room for a native restaurant, or are there already you know native cafes and restaurants there? Um, yes, of course, there's a lot of room here, um, especially here in Oakland. There's over 300 different cultural restaurants, but there's no native there's no Native American restaurants, and that's what makes me sad. But then also it makes me drive to do better in my work and to um, just kind of let let it speak for itself and let it take it takes its own course. Here in the Bay Area, we have so much stuff going on, um, health, especially health, eating health. And everybody has a job and everybody has a part on this earth. And I feel that my part right here is to educate people and to share Native foods with them and hopefully steer them the right way to a healthy living lifestyle. Right, and when you say um, health, everybody's talking about health. You mean um, uh, the the gluten-free movement that seems to be radiating out of California? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of gluten-free and there's a lot of vegans. (laughs) And so, of of course, I, you know, I have to kind of alter my menus to that. You know, um, I'm in, I'm kind of, I sway kind of um, in the middle of my foods. I can't just automatically um, sell sell this and sell that. That's not good for you. And then automatically switch my menu to healthy. It's got to gradually take its course. Just like, you know, for exercising, we can't just automatically run up that 12-mile hill, can we? No, we can't. <laughs> I can. Um, we have to take baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Right. <laughs> and I'd like to, well, speaking of, you can't, you know, automatically run that 12-mile hill. You kind of did that with your 400 <laughs> guests for your first catering <laughs> project. Uh, what, what, yes. what did you serve? I mean, how did you how did you kind of come up with a menu oh, for that? Oh that that's huge. Um, Oh my no! I what I I did um, a sweet dried corn with pumpkin, and uh, let me see, and um, I believe a, a salad, and then I think I did squash rye bread. <laughs> okay, um, yes. so so um, you were on that show, Chopped. Um, how did you get? How did you get there? Oh, wow. Did somebody um, nominate you or something, or did you put an application in? Yeah, it's one of those, it's an application where one of my mm-hmm. friends knew a chef. I get, one of my friends knew a chef. I realize it now that because I do get emails um, from Food Network of wanting me to recommend different kind of chefs for the show. So I got one of those applications, and um she told me you should fill it out. You're you're really unique. I think you'll do great. I was kind of like, no, I'm okay. And she goes, and when about when I looked at it, it was kind of fairly simple. So I did it within ten minutes. Like maybe six months went by. I totally forgot all about it. And plus, I didn't even think I was gonna even get interviewed for the show. But I just did it. You know, six months went by, and they had called me and told me to come for a casting in San Francisco. Um, it went very well. I felt like, you know, well, if they don't choose me, okay, it's fine. Um, at least I say I tried. <laughs> so, 
you know, and at least they know if they don't pick me as a native chef, at least they can pick somebody else because they need to be aware of this. I mean, I was more like, I, I used to like watching the show myself, you know, but I was like, where's the native chef at? <laughs> and so it took a whole year to get processed. And finally they called me and told me I got it. And they all flew out here from New York, and I wanted, I wanted to um, show um, the community where I worked in, and that is the Intertribal Friendship House. I cook a lot for that community, and so we shot the show there. And at that time, I didn't know I was the first Native woman to be on that show. You know, you know we never had a Native American on this show, and you're the first. How does that make you feel? It made me cry. <clears throat> Not just because of the TV spotlight, but it made me cry, like, you know, that us as Indigenous people, Native people, we were still, it's 2000, at the time I was feeling, it was 2015, and I I told them I was sad, and I made them cry, and I went on and on and told them, I said, you know, our people have fought a lot, and for, you know, for food, and for me being a Native chef. It's a, you know, it's a struggle out there. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a struggle out there to get your people to eat healthy, to make them, other people non-Native to understand about Native food. And so I took that podium they gave me, win or lose, I didn't care. I took it and I'm, I used it. I, in going to New York, um, it was very cutthroat competitive. <laughs> I gave it my all, gave it my best. They made me feel very comfortable. Um, they told me that they would um, bring me back on the show. Um, so I got several emails, so I do go back to New York. And um, I love the producers that um, told my story. They did it in a very classy way. Um, I'm very, very protective how I am perceived as a Native chef and perceived for my food. You know, people are using Native foods and using this and using that. And I'm very, very careful and cautious how my food is put out there and how I'm put out there as a Native chef. And that's just the respect for um, other Native chefs and respect for my grandmothers and my ancestors. And me talking with other Native chefs, we all come, we all understand and it, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but it's a beautiful struggle. I don't know any words to say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a, a, a delicious struggle also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, so how far did you get? Did you get chopped? Oh, yeah. Um, I oh. got chopped on the first. I got chopped on the first round. <laughs> oh, okay. What, what did you make? Oh, I did a, a frozen, hard frozen tortellini with... A bordega, it, that was, it tastes kind of like a rotten sardine. Oh, no. <laughs> and a goat's milk caramel and a radish. Oh, and goodness. I made a salad. Yeah. And, and yeah. Goodness, yeah. That, those, yeah. those, yeah, I like to, I like to watch them every now and then, but, you know, the Food Network and the food channels have really just gone overboard with these food competitions. So I don't watch too many of them anymore, but it just seems so... Like the the chefs are so, you know, they have to be really quick 
on their feet to just think of yeah. how do I mix like a rotten fish with caramel and a tortilla and, you know, a mushroom or something. <laughs> I mean, these really outlandish sort of ingredients that really probably have no business being on the same plate, but, you know, I guess they make it work. <laughs> Yes. They make it work. Yes. It's, it's on every single day for hours and hours. Yes. it's Your 20 minutes is like 10, 5 minutes. But it yeah. all at the same time, what people don't see is um, you're in that studio for a good 16 hours. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and, and, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> you're... You're in there for a long time. <laughs> oh my goodness! But but you are cooking for the thirty minutes, right, or whatever time's on the clock. The 20? Yeah, that's the, yes. You are. It's twenty minutes. Mm. You are definitely cooking for the twenty minutes. Jeez. Yeah, but <laughs> other than that, it was um, it was it was fun. It was something new. It was different. I never been to New York. That was my first time ever going to New York. So not every day you can say I'm going to New York to be on the Food Network's number one show. That was Crystal Wapipa, Kickapoo Chef from Oakland, California. You can find more about Wapipa's Kitchen on Facebook. The Toasted Sister Podcast is created by me, Andy Murphy. You can find more episodes on ToastedSisterPodcast.com. Music was created for Toasted Sister by C.W. Ion. Check out his music at cwayon.com. Subscribe to the Toasted Sister podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.